Well, greetings to all of you today, both those who are here in this wonderful place, and, it, and I love it every, even more every day that I can be here. It's nice to be able to be online and be a part of the service, too. And so I greet everyone clear across the planet who may be uh, viewing and listening today. I did not designate a particular scripture lesson. Uh, I'll have various insertions of scripture in the middle of the message this morning. <clears throat> so I will start off with one verse and then have a prayer. And uh, in John 1 4, 1 14, I guess it is, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let us pray. Lord, we're here because we know our need of you and know our need to be truly alive in you. Be with us this hour, and Lord, help us to hear what you have to say in your living word. Sometimes you might want to speak to us beyond the sacred page. Maybe speak deep to our hearts. Maybe even think thoughts that are not even in the message, but we're in your house. And you want to speak to us. Help us to hear. Help us to listen. Thou guardian of our souls. Be with those who cannot be with us. Be with those who are traveling today. And we give you praise, honor, glory, and blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Today I'd like to speak to you that it's a life and death matter. And I suppose I'm more serious than ever about preaching the gospel. The older I get, and who knows? This might be my last sermon. I tried to build that up so that more people might listen, you know. <laughs> but of course they know that I can bore them any, anywhere, whether they're online or, or not, you know, so... And I want to give uh, Brian a special comfort. Uh, I took a fluid pill this morning, so the longer the sermon is, the more the pain will be. <laughs> so you know it can't go on forever anyway. <laughs> the gospel writer, John, was writing about Jesus. He referred to Jesus. What will you do with Jesus this morning? What would you do with Jesus if you're listening online? I believe your earthly and your eternal life depend on it. Pilate said to the crowd in Matthew 27, 22, as they yelled for Jesus' destruction, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And of course the crowd who had been stirred up by the religious leaders said, crucify him. And Pilate caved into the crowd, even though he had power, to save Jesus' life, and even though his wife had spoken to him and warned him about what to do with Jesus, he disobeyed his wife. And that's one time we don't want to disobey our wives when it comes to Jesus. <laughs> and he caved into the crowd, and you know, according to tradition, Pilate was eventually disgraced and his life was ruined. His life on earth. 
John says in, and Jesus says in John 10.10 10, that the thief cometh except for to kill and to steal and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Do I really believe Jesus? I'm glad that I believed Jesus years ago because my earthly life has been abundant. Oh, yes, life has its sorrows, it has its trials and tribulations, it has its challenges. But if you have the joy of Jesus in your heart, you can go through them victoriously. And, and the older you get, the, the more thankful you can be every day that you have one more day to try to be with Jesus. But Jesus means to give us the abundant life on earth. And many people simply cannot fathom that. They cannot, oh yeah, well Jesus will give us eternal life. He did die on the cross so that we might have everlasting life. And that's so very important. And I would offer this. I really believe more and more in eternal life because the more I know Jesus, the more I know his promises will be true. And if he's promised us eternal life, besides the abundant life, it only gets better and better. <clears throat> and so I would ask the, this penetrating question, do the, you have the abundant life now? I believe that my eternal life and my abundant life on earth began the day that I decided that Jesus Christ had died for my sins and that I needed to have him in my heart and follow him. That was a long time ago. The only thing is, I wish that I could have understood it sooner. I would have probably gone through my teenage years a lot happier. I didn't really have, in my opinion, a, a great teenage life because I didn't have it with Jesus. But uh, after that moment, things changed. I heard recently Patrick Henry wrote his last will and testament. And in his last will and testament, we all remember Patrick Henry who said, give me liberty or give me death. At least that's what I had to learn in school. I hope people are still learning that in history class. Uh, but he said, give me liberty or give me death when it, taught, when it came to uh, leaving uh, the, uh, and the, the England and, leaving and becoming an independent nation. But he said in his last will and testament, I leave all my worldly goods... To my children, but I prefer to leave them Jesus Christ, for without him they will have nothing. Patrick Henry was a great believer. He knew what mattered in life. We used to have a saying years and years ago when I was young, no Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no peace. On the other hand, K-N-O-W, no Jesus, K-N-O-W, life. K-N-O, Jesus, K-N-O-W, peace. I remember sitting under the teaching of one of my professors. His name was Dr. L. Harold DeWolf. He was dean of our seminary back in the 60s. He had previously taught at Boston University School of Theology. Now, amazingly... Martin Luther King Jr. decided to get his doctor's degree because he was, he was a smart Baptist. He decided to go to a Methodist seminary, Boston University School of Theology, to get his doctor's degree. And while he was there, 
Dr. DeWolf was his advisor and helped advise him on, on obtaining his doctorate. <clears throat> well, it was a joy to sit in Dr. DeWolf's living room during my senior year and watch as he lit a fire in a fireplace with one match and just lit one leaf and everything else just lit right up. And I thought, he must have been a Boy Scout because I would have needed paper to do that and discuss Dr. King. But Dr. DeWolf taught New Testament theology. And I had to, had to take that course. It was required. But I was also required to buy his textbook. <laughs> Professors do that to you. Theology of the Living Church, and 50-some years later, I think I still have it somewhere in a box. You know. Now, Dr. DeWolf had a tremendous theme running all through this book, and he, he harped on it, and he harped on it, comprehensive coherence, meaning that, you know, have all the facts and figures and all the, uh, all the knowledge has to be put together in a coherent way and be logical and rational. Well, I had another professor, history, a church history professor, Dr. Gowen. He said, you know, Dr. Wolf doesn't seem comfortable with paradox. <laughs> and that was the truth. And as much as I liked Dr. DeWolf and I heard his testimony, I believed he knew Jesus, but I believe Dr. Gowen was right. Because <laughs> truth many times comes to us in paradoxes. And many of us may know those, some of those paradoxes. Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake, the same shall find it. You know, we have to really dig into that and believe that. Is that really true? It, for me, it's true. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. I believe that's really true. Or I believe the happiest people spend a lot of time thinking of other people. They're only, they don't just think of themselves all the time. They think of other people and what good they could do for other people. And this is just came to me recently. I believe America stands tallest when she is on her knees before Almighty God and is better able to stand for the national anthem. If, if America gets on her knees before Almighty God, then we can stand truly for the national anthem. Another paradox, one from one of the Niebuhr brothers. I don't remember whether it was Reinhold or Richard. But he said, people who contemplate heaven take better care of this earth. I've found that to be absolutely true. Because if people focus on things and pleasures, eventually that just kind of wears out. And they don't take care of what they have. And you've seen people like that. On the other hand, people who have God in their lives, they take better care of what they have. Illustration of this would be a man who, who uh, liked to spend a lot of time with his drinking buddies. 
Well, one day he became a Christian, accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And so some weeks later, his drinking buddies accosted him. He said, Charlie, surely, surely you haven't become a Christian. Yes, I have become a Christian. Surely you don't believe all that stuff, all those miracles that, that's in the Bible. Well, I haven't read all of them. I'm just a new Christian. He said, surely you don't believe that Jesus changed water into wine. And Charlie said, well, in my house, he's changed beer into furniture. And sometimes that happens, you see. Now, God spoke through Moses not just decades ago, but millennia ago. In Leviticus 26, 3 to 6, we have these words, if I could find it. If you follow my statutes and keep my commandments, and this is God speaking through Moses this time. It's God speaking through Moses, not just Moses, but God is speaking. If you follow my statutes and keep my commandments and observe them faithfully, I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your thrashing shall overtake the vintage, and the vintage shall overtake the sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and live securely in your land. And I will grant peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and no one shall make you afraid. And also 24 and 25. But if you do not turn back to me, I will bring the sword against you, executing vengeance for the covenant. And if you withdraw within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into enemy hands. In other words, you'll be ruled by people who hate you. And when I break the staff of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and they shall dole out your bread by weight, and though you eat, you shall not be satisfied. When we forget God, when we turn away from God, when we fail to worship God, and God doesn't have the right place in our lives, these things happen, and they happen not only individually, they happen as a people. They happen as groups of people. Well, are we getting any better as a nation? Recent statistic. Uh, if you attend three out of four weekends in church, your average age will be seven years longer. People who attend worship three out of four weekends a month on the average, live seven years longer. Why wouldn't I want that for myself? Why wouldn't I want that for my children? Why wouldn't I want, why would not I want that for my children to live longer? Now, here's the rub. In some ethnic groups in the cities, if they attend church three out of four uh, times a month, they will live 14 years longer. Now, that's not because they're any different, because they, their blood isn't the same. It's because they get into gangs and get into lifestyles. It's better to get into church and get into a gang and get into lifestyles that, that take away your life. You get into addictions of all kinds. Over the last few years, I have known through relatives and friends, 
eight people under 40 who have died of opioid addiction. One of them I baptized several years ago. That, that comes home to me. Death is there. Satan is coming to kill and to steal and destroy. A lot of our young people have lost their lives, and now the opioid crisis is taking many of our elderly, especially in some of the nursing homes. Are your spiritual eyes on Jesus? Are you getting better? Is America getting better? Another recent poll showed that Americans are less generous than they were 20 years ago. They're giving less to charity. A big chunk of that is actually giving less to the church because they're not in church. And yet Jesus promises more life on earth and eternal life. We take the devil's lies. Now God's still in control. He knows where we're going. He knows what to do. He knows how to handle things if we turn away from him. Jesus in Matthew 24, 7 and 8. Here's what Jesus said, if I can find it. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. For the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Sometimes in that phrase also includes pestilence. (laughs) Famines and pestilences in some translations and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. Or in 2 Timothy chapter 3, from the words of Paul, in the last days perilous times will come for many will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemous, dishonest to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. And that word I translated in the Greek means without natural affection. People in the family will not love each other. The Polish Proverbs, it says, the greatest love is a mother's, and then a dog's, and then a sweetheart's. The thing of it is, the sweetheart's love may have some natural affection, but there's probably some eros, which is romantic love, which kind of complicates that. So I guess the mother's love and the dog's love are are the best. But people will be unforgiving and so forth, and it'll be lovers, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Many of us want pleasure. Well, some might ask, well, can it get any worse than it is now? With COVID-19, civil unrest, death in the streets. I hate to be a bearer of bad news, but yes, it can get worse. And it might. Unless we turn back to God. You know, we think you know, we've really suffered through the last three month, few months, haven't we? Americans haven't really suffered, in my opinion. We haven't been in a refugee camp or a third world country or in a godless, oppressive nation. 
I got up this morning and my coffee maker worked. So did my microwave. So did my shower work. And praise God, my commode worked this morning. The hot water heater worked. The washer, the dryer, the dishwasher. The fan and the air conditioner. All these things worked. Until I was five years old, we did not have electricity. I lived out in the sticks. (laughs) But everybody else lived in the sticks around us, so we were all poor and didn't know we were poor. So we're all equal. (laughs) But I know what it's like to learn to read by kerosene lamp. I also know what outdoor facilities, because we did not have indoor plumbing until I was nine years old. And let me tell you, the outdoor privy was air-conditioned in the wintertime. (laughs) As As the old song says. Now, people complained about not having toilet paper some weeks ago. We had none. (laughs) And we were thankful to have Sears and Roebuck cattle hogs in Montgomery wards. A lot better than a corn cob. (laughs) Even Alden's and uh, Spiegel's (laughs) catalogs. Somebody handed me a plaque, which I put up on the wall of my kitchen. What if you woke up today with only what you thank God for yesterday? Now, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or feel guilty. But four months ago, were you thankful that things were normal? You see, maybe we Americans are spoiled, but it can get worse. I was sitting in a class under seminary professor Dr. Dennis Kinlaw. It was in an evangelism conference, and he'd given a lecture, and he had question and answer time. And I'm usually pretty quiet because I was in a group of other ministers. I'm, I'm shy when it come, you get to be in about 50 other ministers, you know, because they all want to talk, and I want to let them, you know. <laughs> but I said to him, I, I raised my hand asked this question, Dr. Kinlaw, I notice that in places of the world where Christianity is growing, there is great faith. Great belief in the Bibles, but there's also great suffering. Could we in America have growth in Christianity without the suffering? Quick as a flash, he answered, well, it's coming. I'd rather not go through suffering. But you know... The Great Awakening, and I'm going to come to the conclusion because it could get get painful if it doesn't, you know. (laughs) You know, the Great Awakening of the 1700s did not happen in a vacuum. God engineered some things that happened. One was there's Queen Anne's War, I believe, and that affected the 13 colonies at that time. Also, there were several Native American uprisings along the frontier, and that that frightened people. And sure, God prepared evangelists like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. But do you know that there was a major earthquake on the eastern seaboard at that time? 
Now, we think that great earthquakes don't, don't occur on the eastern seaboard. I've lived through a couple small ones. One I slept through. I guess my snoring was bigger than the earthquake. But some seismologists say the American seaboard is long overdue for a major earthquake. Now, what's the solution? I think the solution is always going back to, as our country and as our individuals, to 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, over 70% of the people are supposed to call themselves Christians in America. Did you know that? If my people, who are called by my name, Christian will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear their land. What will we do with Jesus? What will we do with him as individuals and as a country? I believe we can have an abundant life as individuals, but I, I would pray that a significant number of Christians throughout this country would really get serious about Jesus. Really believe Jesus. That he has the best plan for your earthly life as well as the best plan for your eternal life. And so for those of you who are listening on the internet and those who are here, I'm going to offer a prayer because I believe that putting our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior has to be simple enough so that the smallest child can understand it. Jesus did die for you. And the moment I believe that Jesus died for my sins and I invited him into my heart, I began a new life. So I'm going to offer a prayer now. And if, if you are willing, mean that prayer as I pray it out loud. And those of you who are listening on the internet, those of you who are watching, uh, join with me as we bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord Jesus, we know we really need you. We need you more than ever as Savior and Lord. We confess to you that we are not capable of saving ourselves. We have gone astray from you, and we have turned every one of us away from you by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. We're sorry, Lord. Forgive us as we turn to you, turn our eyes on you. And now, Jesus, take away our sins, come into our hearts with thy Holy Spirit, and help us to have the abundant life on earth that you planned for us and have eternal life forever and ever. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And our closing hymn is I Love to Tell the Story. If you've prayed that prayer, whether you're here or on the internet, tell somebody that you've prayed that prayer. It's good, it's good to believe in your heart, but also confess with your mouth. If you confess your mouth, I prayed that prayer. That helps to substantiate it. Don't tell somebody who's an unbeliever. Tell somebody who's been praying for you or somebody who loves you. Because don't, don't tell an unbeliever that you're not ready for that yet. You know? <laughs>